Throughout the coronavirus pandemic, Latin American countries have shown us both sides of an ugly coin. In Brazil, the lack of strict social isolation measures was called out as a factor for the uncontrolled spread of COVID-19 around the country, with President Jair Bolsonaro literally saying that, quote, staying home is for the weak. Almost 5 million people have been infected with the virus and over 140,000 have died. Meanwhile, in countries such as Venezuela, El Salvador and Paraguay, governments have taken their coronavirus responses to the other extreme. According to a new Amnesty International report, these countries have gone about enforcing repressive and abusive isolation measures, including placing tens of thousands of people in mandatory state-run quarantine centres, which operate more like prisons than anything else. And under the guise of controlling the virus, some politicians are using the pandemic as a cover to enhance police brutality and even challenge the foundations of democracy in their own countries. My name is Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and standing in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. To discuss the findings of this latest report, this week we're going straight to the source to speak with one of Amnesty International's researchers, Louise Tillotson. And just a quick disclaimer, like many of us, Louise is working from home, so I apologise for any street noises that might have made it through the recording. Louise, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. So just to kick off here, this latest report entitled When Protection Becomes Repression, Mandatory Quarantines Under COVID-19 in the Americas, so this, this documents how some governments around Latin America have made use of the pandemic to enact these overly repressive and often abusive quarantine policies. The main focus of the report is on Venezuela, El Salvador and Paraguay. So do you think you could just kind of briefly summarise the findings that you've had for these three countries? You know, what has been going on there? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you say, governments in, in, in these three countries, particularly in America's uh, but also in other countries in, in the region, um, have placed tens of thousands of people um, in, in unsanitary and sometimes inhumane quarantine centres that are under principally the control of the police and military, um, and which in our research we found um, may be so unsanitary that they're counterproductive. Um, and in some instances, the conditions are so dire that it, it could amount to ill treatment. So, of course, quarantine is a, is a public health measure that governments are allowed to take, and it's been used as a as an intervention in public health um, for for decades. But it's also under international human rights law a deprivation in practice of somebody's liberty. So, you know, when you put them uh, in in a place that they're not allowed to leave um, for whatever number of days, um, in in many cases we found people were held well beyond 14 days, which is uh, provided somebody doesn't prevent with sim- present with symptoms of COVID-19, the sort of period that's uh, proposed someone should be quarantined for at the moment by the WHO. Um, but, but when you do that, um, you, you essentially have to provide certain conditions for them, um, or their detention, uh, which would otherwise be legal, becomes potentially illegal or arbitrary. Um, and so what we found in these, these three countries particularly was that um, states were not always providing adequate conditions um, and certainly not providing the kind of safeguards you would expect to see against potential human rights violations so people didn't have access to lawyers, uh, they didn't have access to independent 
medical or psychological care um, and uh, in some instances uh, you know uh, independent observers and human rights monitors weren't allowed to enter these centers to, to ensure that the conditions were adequate and indeed to, to, to provide another safeguard against uh, potential human rights violations. And what is interesting, at least to me, when I was reading the report, is that at least two of these countries, uh, Paraguay and El Salvador, these are places which have kind of received, at least at some point, some praise during the first month of the pandemic, you know, due to their kind of quick responses. And, you know, if we look at their official numbers of cases and deaths per capita, they they pale in comparison to some of their neighbours. So, like, two questions off the back of that. First, have these overzealous measures, in fact, maybe helped keep these COVID numbers down? And two, are the populations responding to these negatively or positively? You know, are they seen as some sort of maybe like a necessary evil or something like that? Yeah, th- these are good questions. I mean, Amnesty International is in a public health organisation, so it's not our role and, and the role of the briefing is not to consider which models of prevention work best for preventing COVID-19. Our role is to, to highlight human rights concerns that are related to the implementation of these quarantines um, and what we found is that you know people were often detained in in very appalling conditions and without adequate safeguards against human rights violations and in, in El Salvador uh, what we saw specifically and that was of, of real concern is that the authorities um, through their actions seem to have converted what is the legitimate you know, public health intervention into a form of uh, repression. And, and they did that in a number of ways. Uh, a number of the people, there were, there were around uh, 16,000 people in, in El Salvador uh, who passed through quarantine centers over a period of four or five months. And uh, among those were people that were returning to the country, uh, either they were deported or they were people returning from overseas. Um, but also people were detained as a form of punishment. And, and this is something that the constitutional court of the country found. They uh, People who were out buying food or medicine, um, we, that we document in quite a lot of detail in, in the report, one case of of a woman called Anna Christina who was, you know, out buying food and medicine. She was picked up by the police, uh, told that, uh, you know, she was in violation of, at the time, what was a national lockdown, uh, and uh, taken to uh, a quarantine centre where she was told that she would be tested for COVID-19, but where she actually ended up spending more than a month and undergoing repeated number of tests. But ultimately, she was taken there um, as, a, as a punishment for allegedly not, viol- you know, not com- complying with the, the national lockdown. That is a real concern because it, it's one thing to, to, to quarantine people um, as a public health measure. It's another thing to do it uh, to punish them for allegedly you know, violating a lockdown. And what's what's you know, particularly worrying at the time that she was detained was that, you know, going out to buy food and medicine was actually permitted under the law. Um, so so this is where, um, you know, you, it, 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 what is a public health intervention begins to border on a form of repression. Yeah, no, exactly. And in the case of El Salvador in particular, I mean, the government's repression, it seems like it's, it's, it's it seems like it's going beyond just like forced quarantines, uh, because we've seen 
obviously a lot of people saw those photographs of uh, within El Salvadorian jails of these men basically had been stripped and um, and lined up in the prison yard and denied of a lot of basic rights. And, you know, as you mentioned before, this is barely uh, a kind of healthy uh, sanitary condition to be in during a pandemic. But also we've heard stories of, like, kind of increased violence between the police and gangs, you know, outside of these centres. So, you know, what's going on there? Is this part of, like, a, a larger political project from the government? Yeah, I mean, I think... Amnesty has documented for some time sort of uh, a a tendency towards repressive policies in El Salvador and a a tendency to overuse uh, the police and military. And we certainly saw uh, in the name of COVID uh, the deployment of, you know, many more police um, to try and police the national lockdown that was put in place. Uh, We also documented cases of of young people who... um, you know, uh, experience uh, unlawful and excess use of force against them by the police when they were out and about uh, during the during the the lockdown. So, um, yeah, there is a there is a wider trend um, certainly uh, within which we're seeing these uh, mandatory quarantines being used as a form of repression. So, Louise, uh, well, we've seen much of these containment centres in Paraguay and El Salvador be, you know, closed down, and there's been a lot of uh, of complaints about these particular centres. Repressive quarantines appear to be continuing in Venezuela, for instance, where, you know, we have hundreds of people who are crossing the border every day and, you know, essentially being frog-marched into these quarantine facilities that seem more like prisons. So first, who are these people who are crossing the border and why is the government rounding them up like this? Yeah, so, I mean, Venezuela has uh, the second largest number uh, of refugees overseas in the world. It's the second largest refugee crisis after Syria. There's 5.1 million uh, Venezuelans overseas and you would have seen uh, some some days ago uh, the uh, a panel of independent UN experts put out a report, uh, a damning report, which uh, concludes that the authorities in Venezuela uh, have conducted such a systematic uh, campaign of human rights violations uh, since at least 2014 that they may amount to crimes against humanity, and they've uh, called for the. Uh, you know, for further investigation by the International Criminal Court. So it's within that context um, that this is happening in which you have uh, 5.1 million people overseas. Many of them are in surrounding host uh, countries like um, uh, Peru and Colombia. And when the pandemic started, um, sadly, they were, uh, you know, an informal uh, jobs in those countries and uh, in pre- you know precarious sort of conditions, and so they were left sort of jobless and homeless um, and forced to sort of make their way back into Venezuela because they you know had no social protection within those host countries, um, and and that's where you see them coming back uh, in, into Venezuela and then then being placed in these uh, um, in these mandatory quarantine centres. Um, what we've also seen, and, and, and this is perhaps the most open and, and openly disturbing example of discrimination that, that we saw, was uh, the authorities um, simultaneously a sort of 
uh, running a campaign of stigma and discrimination against people as they return. So we saw um, senior levels of the Maduro administration calling those that were coming back from Colombia biological uh, weapons. So, uh, um, we saw them calling them traitors uh, because they had left and were returning home. And, and, and that sort of uh, discriminatory language was then replicated, we heard, uh, by the military that are in control of these mandatory quarantine centers uh, within those centers to the people that are held there. So they, you know, when people complained about the conditions that they were being held in, you know, lack of water, food, um, uh, in these quarantine centers, uh, you know, the guards that, that were there were saying to them, well, you know, you deserve it because you left the country in the first place. Um, so, so this is, you know, these are the people who are who are experiencing this, and, and certainly, um, at the moment, is I think it was at the end of August, uh, according to government figures, Venezuelan government figures, there were some ninety thousand people who had passed through these quarantine centres in Venezuela. So the scale in which people uh, had been uh, put in quarantine in, in Venezuela. Uh, is, is significant compared to the other two countries that we consider in the report. Is there any pretense that this is actually a measure to help curb the spread of coronavirus in Venezuela? Or, you know, from everything you've just described, it, it sounds like a purely political move. I mean, so the government has put out a series of protocols which set out the criteria in which, you know, uh, someone should be quarantined. So everybody that returns is given a rapid test. And then, uh, you know, if they're, if they're negative, uh, presumably they're sent to a quarantine center. Uh, if, if at any point they test positive, they're moved to a, an isolation uh, place, which is usually a hospital, um, you know, all, all, all under mandatory supervision. But I mean, they, they are, there are protocols that they have in place, which, uh, you know, according to the public health specialists that we consulted with, make, make sense from, from an epidemiological point of view. Um, that said, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, when you deprive someone of their liberty, um, you, it's very clear, and the UN has made this very clear um, in a number of standards it's put out since April, um, for the purposes of quarantine, if you deprive someone of their liberty, you can't treat them like a detainee. You, you must treat them like somebody that's in quarantine. So they must have access to communication with outside world. They must be free agents within the quarantine space. They must be able to, um, you know, read and you know have access to internet and, you know, simply be there for the purposes of the quarantine and not as a form of punishment. Um, sadly, the way that we've seen the quarantine centers implemented in many ways suggest that they've gone beyond uh, carrying out a quarantine for, for public health purposes and not provided the safeguards, not provided a discriminatory free environment, uh, not provided just basic water foods um, and, and sanitation that's required to ensure that there's sufficient prevention uh, between between people within the quarantine centre, uh, and that then uh, is, is is particularly worrying. 
And so, Louise, we've talked about repression in El Salvador. We've talked about this happening in Venezuela. Recently, we've seen the Nicaraguan government trying to pass new bills to silence critics of the government. In Brazil, the president has attended public demonstrations alongside people calling for military intervention. This doesn't seem to; these don't seem to be isolated incidents, really, do they? Do you do you think that the COVID nineteen pandemic might be kind of speeding up an already developing process of authoritarianism around Latin America? Repression and certainly excess use of force uh, and unnecessary use of force by the police. Um, sort of repressive policies in general, a structural challenge in, in the region. What we've seen, uh, sadly, is with COVID-19 that those structural problems uh, like repression, but including discrimination, uh, are being magnified. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's not outside of the, the trends in the region that it's disproportionately low-income people uh, that were disproportionately the ones that were accused of, you know, breaking the, the lockdown and then sent to mandatory quarantines in El Salvador. It's it's not unusual that it's people on the move, migrants and refugees, that are the ones that are disproportionately bearing the brunt uh, of, of these mandatory quarantines. And of course, they're also low-income people. So um, it's that it's that combination of structural uh, um, repression that we see in the region plus structural discrimination that really um, has, has has been being magnified with COVID-19. Yeah. Um, and just to finish off then, from the point of view of Amnesty International, what kind of action does the organisation suggest for like neighbouring countries, for example, to take against these these repressive moves? Is there room for, I don't know, sanctions or something similar? So I think what we we called on authorities to do is, first of all, ensure that, you know, there's, there should be no place for discrimination. Um, the kind of open discriminatory narratives that we've seen uh, coming from governments like the Venezuelan one are just not acceptable. And it's the place of all governments to 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 condemn that kind of language and those kind of uh, stigmatizing campaigns because we know from other pandemics like like the HIV pandemic um, you know that's now 40 years old that sort of criminal criminalizing discriminatory responses really undermine public health interventions and then they're, they're not effective um, so so that's a starting point um, and then. Uh, it, it's also important that um, you know governments refrain from using the military to enforce lockdown measures um, or to manage uh, quarantine centres. It's it's certainly fine for the military to be deployed initially in response to emergency if, if their involvement is exceptional and time bound and so on. But um, it, it and they must be during that time subject to civilian command and so on, but, but they shouldn't, um, you know, have this this uh, very prioritised role that we've seen in the region. It's also really important um, if governments are going to set up mandatory quarantine and they choose to do that, that they make sure that human rights organisations like ourselves, like the UN, like uh, the humanitarian organisations have access to these centres so that they can monitor them and they can make sure that the appropriate human rights safeguards are in place. Um, so it, it, our report sets out a whole series of other 
uh, recommendations that are a lot more technical, um, including, for example, that uh, you know governments really should detain people in mandatory quarantine for the minimum period necessary based on the science that's const- constantly evolving with COVID-19. Um, but, but that was one of the concerns as well, that people are held for for 30, 40, sometimes 50 days in these in these centres. And of course, that has huge economic implications for their family. Um, so it's important that states learn from each other. We're, you know, we're all in this together. It's a global um, phenomenon. Uh, it's a pandemic. So um, one of the reasons we, we wanted to release this report and one of the reasons that we, we released it as a regional uh, thematic report was precisely because um, if we continue to see lockdowns uh, over the next months, um, as, as, it, as it may be the case, uh, we really need to learn uh, from what's happened in the last six months to ensure that um, the human rights violations we've seen don't continue. Louise, thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial with no strings attached that gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening.